Every new year, there's pressure to work out, and it stops people from even starting. But starting is what matters most. So Peloton's made starting easy with up to $600 off Peloton bike purchases and two months free membership. Start moving with the Peloton Bike, Bike Plus, Tread, Row, or Guide, and thousands of classes with instructors ready to support you from day one. Shop Peloton's New Year offers at onepeloton.com slash deals. All access membership separate. Terms apply. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Tired of ads interrupting your favorite show? Good news. Ad-free listening on Amazon Music is included with your Prime membership. Just head to amazon.com slash ad-free fitness to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Enjoy thousands of ACAST shows ad-free for Prime subscribers. Some shows may have ads. This is the Secret Library Podcast. Welcome to Season 6. As we celebrate six years of the show, we are exploring a very important theme, publication. What does publication mean for you as a writer? What are the choices available? And how does that impact both you and your book? We'll be talking with multiple writers on their publication experience this season, helping you get closer to publication as well. My guest this week for our final episode of the season is Evelyn Steinthaler. She's an author, editor, audiobook producer, translator, biographer, performer, university lecturer, moderator, and youth worker. She was active in journalism and PR for many years. Her focus is on sociopolitical projects with a focus on empowerment of women and girls. In addition, she has done text work for memorial projects in Austria and internationally. For the book Women 1938, she was awarded the Bruno Kreisky Recognition Prize for the political book. In 2017, her translation of Austria, A Soldier's Guide, was published by Zernin Verlag. In fall 2018, two more books came out. Mags im Himmelsein, Mags beim Teufelsein, was published by Kramer and Schirau, and the graphic novel Parsmanhof, 25 April 1945, on which she collaborated with Verena Loisel, was published by Beho Books. Additional publications are planned for 2022. It's such a gift to wrap up the season with Evelyn because just as we explored the Canadian publishing model outside of what we usually learn about the, the U.S. and U.K. publishing models, I felt it was important to go even beyond the English language model. There are many, many publishing markets throughout the world that are, are not even following the English language model. And it was so hopeful speaking with Evelyn about how publishing functions in Austria 
And the emphasis, again, on small independent presses, the collaborative atmosphere, and the true possibility that I felt about publishing after speaking with Evelyn. It's my honor to share this conversation with you. She's truly inspiring and a real gift to close season six of The Secret Library with our theme, Publication. Enjoy this episode with Evelyn Steinthaler. Hi, Evelyn. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Hi, Caroline. Thanks for having me. So we have been talking this entire season of the podcast about publication, but with the exception of uh, one of our one of our guests who was talking about Canada, and we had one from Australia. the The majority of what everyone learns about in the English speaking world is the American British model, where you get an agent, you want to get a big five publisher, and we don't hear as much about independent publishing, and because it doesn't play the same kind of role, although that role is growing. And I think it's important as we're looking at publishing at a point when it's changing quite a lot to hear other examples. So I was very excited to talk to you about the models in Austria, where you have a lot of experience and somewhat in Germany as well. So I'm wondering if we could start, because you've played many roles in this world from translator to editor to author, if we could just get a a brief overview of the step-by-step process of when you've finished a manuscript and you think you might want to publish, what questions would you ask yourself in, in starting to look for a publishing house in, let's start with Austria, and then we can compare. I know it's a big well, question. <laughs> it is a huge question, Caroline, yes. But, um, well, for me, it is um, the first question that arises is, um, why do I want to do this particularly? Can I really stick to it while writing on it without having a publishing company? Uh, so if I don't have one yet, um, who wants me to publish that particular book with them? So this is really something I think basic. If you don't feel like you really need to do this, you better leave it. Yeah, I think that's something something really, really important. I mean, this happened to me with my um, with um, <clears throat> with a graphic novel I did. So I didn't have a publishing company. But I felt like really I need to do this. So and I really felt like, OK, this is something that is now the point to do with the time and just to continue sitting on that topic and telling that story. And it took me a couple of years to finish it. But uh, by the time I was almost finished and also the graphic artist who worked with me was almost finished with doing her job, doing her part of the book, um, I reached out to publishing companies and I met some um, on the Frankfurt Book Fair, which was, of course, very handy to be there in, you know, be there anyway. So this I talked to them before and said, yeah, let's meet up. So we met and we talked and they said, no, well, not so much. And uh, but this was earlier in the process. So I was like, <clears throat> still, despite not having a publishing company, I said, OK, I still need to do this. And then um, later on, at that point where we 
almost finished. Um, I got in contact with a particular publishing company, which is based in Vienna, which is independent, which is really into the topics I'm into. And I thought, okay, if it's not them, I don't know. Yeah, I will look further. And they, um, I just sent them really briefly material, very, very little. And they responded the next day and said, let's meet up. So I was like really lucky. And we met up and we talked about it. And that was it. So this was really, really great. So I think particularly with that book, because this is really the one where I didn't know where I'm going to publish it. It is really fundamental to stick to it, you know, that you don't lose the faith in your project. And um, and maybe it's not the huge publishing company in Germany that gives you like an advance of, I don't know, 20,000 euros. But um, if you do it for that, I think you have to think about um, the, the general attitude towards writing. Definitely. So you're able with with independent publishers to approach them directly as the author. Yes. yes. And that's yeah. the standard process. Um, well, for now, it is it did change a bit. So I know there are some writers who um, have already there. It's not as much as the English as in the Anglo-American world, but it does change here also to have an agent, you know, and do this with the agents. But still, it is still possible. You know, they don't publish like 500 books per season or 300s. And they very often, um, in my experience, look for something particular and don't say, oh, we need to sell at least 50,000 copies, otherwise it's not worth it. So, and this is like really having this uh, smaller spaces, they can be more, uh, there's more variety in publishing and they can be more open and don't have to crawl after what the market really wants right now. And I think that's a huge advantage if you're not really mainstream thinker yourself, you know, this, um, yeah, to approach the independent publishers. Yeah. And I mean, there are a lot of independent publisher publishing companies who then, well, who sell like the paperback copy to bigger ones, you know, that are, I know several books that have this, um, or who won the, the the Leipzig Fair Prize, you know, it's not that you're just stuck in a little mouse hole, you know, there's, yeah. Well, that's a great, yeah, that you can start publishing with an independent publisher. It gets recognition and then the paperback can go to a larger, mm-hmm. a larger press. Mm-hmm. And it's also really important not to say, okay, this is just a, jumping start for me because I know that they, the the um, I know some writer colleagues of mine who were in bigger in bigger publishing houses and they did not sell enough so they were just like you know kicked out and they returned to smaller ones because um, you're you're not really or the one I'm thinking about she told me that it was more like okay you're more like the um, you have to, you know, you have to produce. And if you don't produce what they really need, it's more difficult. So, um, and bestseller way of thinking. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's more like a business than mm. a source of real independent thinking or creativity. It certainly is. Yes. Mm. And then the relationship between the publishing house, the independent publishing house and the author is quite special in an independent 
publisher, because you've been on the inside as an editor as well. And I'm wondering if you can talk about your experience from being a part of the publishing house and what that was like. Well, um, ideally, you befriend your writers. Yeah, <laughs> you you get friends, um, and uh, you just know that you work together. And it's not like a working for each other, but a working with each other. And you know, when when somebody comes along and says, "Oh, I have this idea, but I don't know uh, how to." get on with this and the bigger publishing houses are not keen to put that much effort in it. Uh, we said, or I said then, okay, let's sit down. And then we developed a book together. You know, this can also happen. And this is just because um, uh, if you see the, 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 the prospect behind the book and that, and also that you connect with people and then you work together in the, in the honor of um, producing books, it's just different. Yeah. If you, I mean, you can sell shoes if you sell books. In the, I mean, I, I, I think there are fantastic, great publishing houses. Don't get me wrong. I really think. I mean, they, some books are re, many, many books are public. Fantastic books are published in big uh, companies, and there are great editors and 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 um, there too. But I think it's easier, and you're more on eye level in a smaller publishing company. Yeah. So how early in the process would someone come to you and you would be willing to talk to them as an editor in an independent house? It sounds like there was an, it might not be, here's a finished manuscript. Do you want it or not? It might be Mm -hmm. a little bit earlier than that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I had that with one of my books when I just had the idea of doing um, a travel guide on, on London and I just blocked out the idea on one I don't know, I can't even remember in which connection that was, but there was this publisher from Vienna on the uh, standing close by and said, yeah, why don't you do it? And I said, okay. And so we did it together. So it was really fun. So I was like, oh, I could do this. So I lived in London for a while, you know, and just, so it was really fun um, that way. It was particularly um, interesting the way that book got started. So uh, it can happen like this. So it is more of, I have the idea, I would like to do it, or I have started, you know, I have a draft or, um, I mean, if you write the 800 pages, you know, and then you come along and then the, the it is more depressing if you come along <laughs> with a, with a, with a ready manuscript and then they say, okay, could it be 400 pages too? And then you, it, I mean, it tears out your heart as a writer, if you're not, if you cannot, you know, develop the right, the way you want. And, um, yes. Yeah, so I think it's the earlier you, as one, as long as, at that point, when you have the idea of what you want to write about and how much um, you want to put in and also about the um, the whole process, I think that's all right, the point where you can start to look for a publisher. You know, and then when you have written some parts so they can see and they can say, okay, like 20 pages or so, they get an idea. And then you can say, okay, let's continue working with each other. And what can they offer you? I mean, that's also important because um, it's not only you offering them, but then of course you have to discuss what is really in the in the connection. And most of course, most very often it is, of course, that smaller publishing houses also rely on writers to have good connections, you know, that they do something also that they, they don't write and put the, the manuscript in and that's it but also to involve themselves in, um, you know, getting their readings. So you have to be more flexible and, um, yeah. 
not with all of them, but I know there are some, you know, where it's really appreciated if the writers can get themselves also into pre-writing organization of uh, continuing working on the book. Yeah, Definitely. Mm-hmm. And then also, it sounds like from the projects you've discussed, sharing yourself, that they're they're quite different. So do you have a publishing house that's been sort of a home or do you seek a different publication, you know, outlet depending on the project? Like this book is going to go with this publishing house and this mm-hmm. one, however, needs to go over here. Mm-hmm. Well, it's more like this. I have two publishing companies I work with uh, right now and the books I published are so completely different. So I know that uh, the one wouldn't go with you and the other. And, you know, it's really um, a being a, that sort of, uh, I mean, I have this one field where I work in, but still I have different aspects of uh, approaching that field. Uh, so that really helps to work with these two and they are fantastic. And um, it's for both uh, companies, it's for both that they say, once when the the recent book um, that's get published soon I thought briefly for the other one and then I had this question don't you think it's better with us and I said okay yeah so (laughs) so it um yeah it's but you can speak freely you know most people of the independent publishers know each other and there's they're most friends and um so that's also really nice yeah to be able to do this yeah it's just wonderful to have these options and be able to have a human relationship with publishing because in many ways it's so intimidating. And as a writer, looking at larger publications or even just the first step for those seeking traditional publishing in the English speaking world, it's especially in the US and in the UK, you're just shipping your stuff out repeatedly to agents and hearing nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, for months so the thought that somebody mm-hmm. would say let's sit down and talk about this just sounds so wonderful mm. and human absolutely absolutely I mean that's one of the big uh, of the great assets in the independent publishing and I'm sure that this is also the case in the English-speaking world I mean it's just the um, major houses don't have the capability of doing this you know because they just put have such a bigger put out than the smaller ones so um, if you publish like eight books a season it's just different than if you do 80 or eight 1800 yeah so it's just a big difference yeah. absolutely mm. and then you have also worked in translation and I'm interested in the process of choosing projects to translate and how that happens and and what the publishing side of translation and translated work looks like in Austria? Again, well, small questions. Yes. <laughs> tiny ones, <laughs> I see. Little tiny ones. Yes. Um, easily, easy to be answered. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I uh, the last time I translated uh, was, uh, and that got published, was in 2017. Mm-hmm. And that, uh, I think, was also the last time I did it because mm. I think translating is such a um, underpaid and such a intense work. And um, I did enjoy it. I did enjoy to work with people. I mean, I did some co-translating um, too. 
which was really fun. And um, so, but it is diff difficult when, when you get approached by a publishing company and they say, okay, we have already a uh, translation and that we don't want to work with. Could you do it? And say, okay, this is not pressure. This is no pressure at all on you. <laughs> and, um, but um, yeah, um, it is, uh, I think it's a very intense, very underpaid work. And it is, of course, um, much nicer if you are able to speak with a writer too. If you can talk with them, then with uh, and you have dead writers and you cannot approach them. And I think that is really important also. And then if the publishing company puts you together, then you can uh, talk with it, talk talk with them. And uh, the last the last translation I did was well, the writers weren't around anymore, but um, the, the the guys who were the editors, you know, and then who who found the material in an archive and said they want to get it published, and so that was really interesting to work with them and to have talks with them because they had this particular way of seeing it. So I think that is really important. Um, and um, well, the publishing houses, they were nice, but of course it's, you know, with smaller houses have, of course, smaller financial possibilities to say. So, yeah, so I think this is um, something that is something in the past of my, I don't think I approach another um, project myself. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I think mm. it's because it's just as important. The translation can change everything. And it's mm -hmm. just as important the hard work that the translator puts in as the original work of the writer. You're you're basically rewriting the book and keeping Absolutely. the spirit of it. And it's incredibly difficult to do. Mm -hmm. And it's so such an important work. And it's really, I mean, I have friends who are great translators and I mean, they really have to work so hard, you know, to get recognized and all this. And this is, uh, and they get recognized, they do get recognized, but uh, still it is um, a really a tough, tough thing to do. And you really have to love, to love it. And I mean, it's, you know, I, I, I just did uh, English to German. So this is not, you know, there's so many and so many great translators. So um, this is not like a small language where you could say, okay, this is something few people do. Um, so I think this is also an aspect there. Yeah. And I had this, this one comic that is getting translated actually. And I had this fantastic um, talk with them, the translator. And I thought, how lovely and how beautiful we talked about the words, you know, and how much, and, and then I thought, oh, I missed that in some, in some of my translating projects to talk um, with the one who wrote, why did you just use this word here? And uh, this is something beautiful. Yeah. In the, in the, in the translation, in the tra translational work. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, it's fascinating. I mean, one of the, only languages really that I can read in the original and then in English is, is German at this point. I used to be able to with French, but I've lost it. But it is amazing to see the choices that people make and then the way that it influences your experience and, and how hard it is to capture the texture of a language mm -hmm. in another language that's just different. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I was lucky to do some... Um... Langston Hughes, 
uh, which mm. was, of course, uh, a great honor to do him. Um, Simple Speaks His Mind. And he was translated in the 1960s into uh, for Aufbau in uh, Eastern uh -huh. Germany. And then the translator used uh, an artificial Berlinesque um, ah. um, dialect, which was really, and particularly from the early 1960s. So he said, yeah. okay, what do they mean? And, uh, and of course, they used the N-word all the time, yes. You know, no matter if um, if uh, Langston Hughes used it himself or not. So of course you have to go over that, and you have to say, okay, it's not that we stick it up, but we have to stick to what the writer, what Langston Hughes meant, you know, when he wrote it, and and not, um, you know, this is something, and it's um, yeah. So that was really interesting um, to work on that book. Yeah. Oh, it's so fascinating. I think it's just, and then when you bring work from one culture to another culture and how the, that culture experiences that work within their own constructs is, mm -hmm. is just so different. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And of course it reflects always the time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's also, it's not only the culture, but also the time the culture is in at the moment, you know, that's, that's also, I think so interesting what I thought with that translation from the 1960s and of course GDR too. I mean, that, yeah. Uh, Mm. Yeah, that changes everything. Well, how, I mean, we're in a time right now that is changing everything. I'm wondering how, how does it feel thinking about publishing books now with everything that's happened over the past few years? How, how have you felt about projects and, and putting things out in a moment simultaneously where everyone feels like they've sort of hold up at home, but also where I think there's been more time for people to think about writing mm -hmm. because they've been at home and having possibly more interrupted time to do so. How has mm -hmm. that been for you? Well, for me, it didn't really change a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and when people say, oh, I'm so much by myself said well you know that's normal yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm a writer so, that's what I do yeah, yeah I need to be by myself when I write you know I couldn't have you know like 20 people working around me and uh, no. so I think this is um, and that's really funny because I think and also by reading I think that the last couple of years really changed a lot for that when they first said oh this will break the um the book industry, well, it didn't, you know, because more people read and more people read still. And this is something um, you have to have your adventures differently. You cannot travel uh, the North Thai jungle. You have to read something about it. So um, I think um, it did change. Um, and it's difficult to say that because it wasn't easy and it's nothing that I would like to have longer. Um, yeah. But I, I think for writing and for, you know, being able to, to sit down and do this, I think it was really good that it forced you to do. And I think that a lot of people did find a way uh, to write in that time, which they maybe before that did not allow them to do. And, you know, once you're forced to do it because the circumstances are different, um, you can, uh, you, maybe you can do it. And I had some ideas. Well, they last now for the next 10, well, not 10 years, but they last for the next six years. So I have three more project ideas. Um, yeah, after the two, well, this one next year, and then I could continue because there's being, you know, not being able to talk with others, but being more into my own work and being this, um, 
kept in my writing world, uh, really brought out new ideas. And I mean, you know, this is, I think, also a question of the topics you work with, you know, how, what do you open to and, yeah. So you've got, you've got years worth of ideas. How do you prioritize them and think about, okay, which book or which project do I want to work on next or which one feels most important? Because they are often arguing in your head, like, hey, I would like attention or what about me? When do I get to be a real book? How mm -hmm. do you how do you handle that balance? Well, um, I it's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, very good question. Uh, it is something that I try not to um, give myself up to the books that demand their attention. You know, this <laughs> I try to get them uh, sitting in line and then saying, okay, is there any? Before, of course, they ask, they ask their, they ask me for their for attention before I even speak with a publisher. So I have this, I have to think about, okay, is there any uh, anniversary also coming up that would make it more reasonable to do this first? And if there's none, then it's the one that really tickles me most. That makes sense. And then another piece of your of your work that I wanted to ask about is that one of the major values that you have embraced and celebrated is empowerment for women and girls. And I'm wondering mm -hmm. how that contributes to your relationship to publishing and, and putting books out or how the publishing industry can help with, with that work. I did um, in nineteen in nineteen in <laughs> in twenty fifteen. It's not that long ago. Uh, in twenty fifteen, where there's so many people came from Syria and Afghanistan to Austria, um, I um, thought, okay, I need to do something. And I did work before with um, teenagers in youth centers, and I wanted to do also some empowerment for them. And their books weren't really the thing. I must admit so, but I thought, okay, uh, let's start. And uh, so within one project, I met um, a young Afghan woman who was living here for a long time already. And um, so I realized about her private situations that I need to do something apart from what we already did. And I thought, okay, she was really into reading. And I thought, okay, why not doing some writing workshops with women or just offering it. So I spoke to the Literature House here in Vienna and also the Austrian Society for Literature, because I was lucky to know them already through my publishing work and through my writer's work and said, you know, I have this idea and I have also asked writers who would like, if they uh, would like to um, hold the classes. And so that's what we did. And then we Asked women and you know all kinds of with different kinds of um, um, backgrounds. So one was like a literature teacher from um, from uh, Damascus, and another one was a housewife from Kabul. Actually, so it was really diverse, and we did great classes for two years, and this was uh, really great because it was also in. Um, I never forget that when we were in the Austrian Society for Literature one point that Afghan woman, she said to me, who's that woman? Because they have huge pictures of Austrian writers. And that was of the young Elfriede Jelinek, 
you know, the, who won in 2004 the Nobel Prize for literature. And this was, uh, she said, who's that woman? And then uh, we talked about it and she said, oh, that's interesting. And then I, you know, she was like really working on that. And she asked me again the next time. So we spoke several times on um, on Elfriede Jelinek and that was really great. And I thought, okay, um, a former housewife from, from Kabul is now getting in touch with Elfriede Jelinek. So I really like that. Well, not with Elfriede Jelinek in person, but with her work. And, um, and then I decided to get uh, the women taking part books from Austrian and German writers. And also not only Austrian writers who had the first language as German, but, you know, there are Austrian writers who have um, Slovenian as first language, or there are women who moved to Austria and have different first languages. So, so I approached the publishing companies and I approached uh, also friends of mine and said, okay, raise some money. I want to buy books. So I bought little libraries. So they got each and each of them got like 12 books. And uh, well, I thought, okay, that's feministic, that's forward thinking. And that's not only from currently current writers, but also historical ones. And, um, and we had then a, a reading group and it was really great. And at one point we were in one of the parks here in Vienna in the summer, had a little little picnic and we were reading uh, love poems from um, from uh, Friederike Mayröcker together and it was wonderful you know just sharing and discussing and what do you think and they said oh that's very sexual and I said yeah so you know having <laughs> this um, a different approach to how to um, lend a hand into a new culture and not um, forcing people in but inviting and you know and uh, and we had some really wrote fantastic um, texts also. So uh, we had them published in a, in a little newspaper, a weekly newspaper here in Vienna. So um, yeah, this was, I thought, you know, with embracing the new language, they could also, with the traumatic um, experience they endured, they could uh, approach them differently. And um, yeah, so um, that's, beautiful. that's what we did. Yes, thank you. <laughs> I think that there is this attitude I hear, and I don't know if you heard this in these students, but when I work with writing students, this, this fear often comes up, you know, who am I to write something? Who am I to publish something? And, you know, why, why is what I'm working on so important? Is it really selfish to try to put it out there and share, you know, publish a book or even an essay or a story? And whenever I hear a story like the one you just shared, I think, you know, what if all of those writers who don't even know now that they were part of a beautiful picnic of people from all different backgrounds learning about a new culture and feeling more comfortable in that place as a result of their writing? What if they had said, oh, who am I to share this? Who am I to publish this? And I, I don't know if, if you share this idea that publishing something is actually a gift to the people who will read it later. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's a gift to yourself, first of all, that you allow yourself and that you have this, um, uh, I think of self-worth also, you know, this, um, I have this artist friend of mine and when I talk to her about, you know, well, I don't know if I should do this and said, you know, if you wait for an uh, acceptance from others, you'll never do it. And I, <laughs> that's really, and I think that's really important. You know, you have to tell the stories you have to tell and you know if it's 10 people hearing or two millions you know you have to tell the story 
And you don't never know which direction, you know, it might go. And if somebody says, have you read this? You know, then people come back to you and say, oh, I was really touched. And um, and if nobody ever dares to come back or if some sometimes you get even, you know, not so nice letters, which can happen too, uh, you still have to tell it because it's part of you and it makes you more whole. And if you neglect that part, it's not good. So, no. No, definitely not. So I think... Put it out and you know and if it's if you really trust in what you do you find a publisher i think that's also really important uh, not to say oh i'm not sure because as long as you when you worry too much you put too much energy in the worry and you don't have the energy to just to be to walk out and say okay here i am want it and the first time i tried to publish something i had 44 um letters off no thank you and I was like okay so I left it for a couple of years and then something happened in my life and I said okay what do I wait for you know I mean I sit at home and I would like to publish books and I would like to do this and I would like to do that and so nobody's coming to say oh we're waiting for you so I have to (laughs) pace out and do it you know and um Uh, Yeah, that's what I did. And I think, you know, this is, if you feel it, you need to do it. 44. That is impressive to to persevere. (laughs) Oh, but one was really nice because one said it's well written, but the story, you know, it's just not working. And I said, but you know, the way you write is like really good, but you know, this is not, uh, no, no. So I said, okay, thank you. That is so funny. The, yeah, the, the, when you get the personalized rejection, what, mm-hmm. what hope that can inspire <laughs> because many of them don't have the time to barely even write at all. So to get something yes. like, Oh, this person took the time to, to give me a little bit of inspiration that can be. I really helpful. appreciate that one. Yes. I really appreciated that one. And I remember, you know, reading manuscripts myself and being in the publishing uh, being a publisher myself and then uh, think <sighs> that sometimes you do get some stuff you know that's not working and it's just that they say okay wh- how are they coming to that point you know where to sell this story and um, I think the worst is if you write something back and then you really destroy the other person because some publishers do that and or some editors do that. And I think it's better not to say anything or to say maybe you do something different just to give people a different idea. Um, And sometimes, you know, not everything you get is really something that you think, wow, I would like to work on this with some with the writer. But um, I think, you know, once you get something back, it means as a writer, it means that you somebody sat down and read it, and then if they don't want it, go somewhere else. And sometimes you even get uh, books or manuscripts, rather, that are just not fitting into the whole program. So I think that's also something really important. You know, when you write your story, and it, don't send it to a publishing company that only publishes books on yoga, you know, um, or who only does children's books, or you write a children's book and you publish, send it to maybe your favorite publishing company for adult books or for, and uh, not adult in the sense of, yeah, but right. um, yeah, but uh, yeah, just see where you send your material to. I think that's really important and also helps to uh, 
minimize the stress and also the um, devastation when you get rejected. Yeah. yeah, and not to take it personally when you do. Absolutely, there may be, never. Yeah, because there may be other factors in play, as you say. There are humans mm-hmm. on the other side, and mm-hmm. who knows what kind of day they're having or what kind of week. And Absolutely. And it can also be, you know, one one person leaves and it's, it's their personal, um, they just don't like that, that, that topic, that story, you know, and they, some other in the same company might like it, but they don't sit there and they don't read it. So it can be this too, you know, that it really depends on who's reading. I mean, it's so... Uh, you can never generalize this. It's, you always have to think, okay, this is something really personal. And if they like it, that's great. You know, and the other ones say, oh, we would never do this. So it, it's also also with the taste and also if they could see selling it, you know, that's also, of course, a big part, even for the independent ones, because they're not blessed with endless money. Most of them, of course, they want to sell and they want to say, okay, we want to do this project. project and but with a different attitude towards it but um yeah so it's something can be something really personal also a rejection yes but and the main thing is to keep going absolutely absolutely and as you said I mean you know you never know who that person is and you know and just believe in what you do I think that's the most important thing and yeah continue and if they say no still you get back up and you say okay Maybe it takes a couple of years, like for me, but um, then you go back and you do it. Yeah. I think that's really, really important. Just not give up when you feel it. This has been such a lovely opportunity to get into this. And I know we've just scratched the surface of a very rich publishing tradition, but it's wonderful to hear another perspective on it from outside of our usual, very tunnel vision UK and US approach. So Evelyn, I want to thank you so much for taking this time to speak with us. Thank you, Caroline. It was great talking to you and I'm, 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 I'm very happy that I could be part of it. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. Tired of ads interrupting your favorite show? Good news. Ad-free listening on Amazon Music is included with your Prime membership. Just head to amazon.com slash ad-free fitness to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Enjoy thousands of ACAST shows ad-free for Prime subscribers. Some shows may have ads.